It's Columbus, Georgia, November 1965. A mother of five, Julia Moore, walks slowly down a suburban street toward a house at the end of her block. She stops, takes a breath. She doesn't want to go there. A taxi cab stops at the house, and the driver, a nervous look on his face, gets out. His sweaty, shaky hand clutches an envelope, and inside of that, a telegram. Julia stares at the man. He looks like a veteran. Maybe the Korean War, World War II? Julia would know. Her husband, Lieutenant Colonel Harold Hale Moore, is currently leading the Battle of the Yadrang Valley in Vietnam. She doesn't know exactly what's happening there, but every day brings with it the fear that a cab driver will appear at her own door with a telegram. A telegram informing a spouse that their husband has been killed in the line of duty. This is the official army procedure. Families are notified of the death of their loved ones via telegrams delivered by taxi drivers. Julia knows this is misguided and has told the drivers to let her know when a telegram is coming so she could help out. To console the family, to be there for them, to bring some humanity to the moment. As she stands there with the cab driver, as a woman opens the door, she shakes her head. There has to be a better way to do this. And as she holds the woman in her arms, doing what she can to console her, Julia decides she's had enough. She's going to do something about this. Make the army a gentler place for families. Julia worked with the Army to change its official notification policy. Rather than cab drivers, notices were then given by uniformed officers alongside a chaplain. It might seem like a small change, but in those moments of grief, it made all the difference and made the Army more humane. This month, the legacies of Julia Moore and her husband, General Hale Moore, are being recognized with the renaming of Fort Benning, Georgia as Fort Moore. In today's episode, we speak to Brigadier General retired Ty Sigley, a 36-year Army veteran, professor emeritus of history at West Point, and the author of Robert E. Lee and Me, A Southerner's Reckoning with the Myth of the Lost Cause. Ty recently served as the vice chair of the Naming Commission, created in 2020 to determine which Army bases and assets should be renamed to reflect today's world. Today, we speak to Ty about his own personal journey, the hundreds of individuals who are considered for recognition, and why it's so important to use the past to inspire the next generation of soldiers and officers. I'm Carrie Varuhikis, and this is Army Matters. Hello, everyone. I'm Lieutenant General Retired Leslie C. Smith, the Vice President for Leadership and Education for Association of the United States Army. And welcome to Army Matters, 
Today, I'm joined by my battle buddy, the former Sergeant Major in the Army, Dan Daly. Hey, Dan, how are you doing today, brother? Les, I'm doing great, and thanks for letting me talk this time, because usually you, um, you bogart the microphone Come a little on. bit too much. Come on, but that's the, not true. You I'm know that's not just true. just saying our listeners are the judges on this one. Uh, um, okay. But I'm the 15th Sergeant of the Army, Dan Daly, and I am actually happy to be on here with my good friend, Les Smith. Just to roll in, we got a pretty interesting uh, guest today, don't we? You know, not often do we have people on here more than once. And he must have done a, a good job because Ty has been, this is the second time. Second time. Second time. You know what I like about Ty? He studies history. That's what my degrees are in. History. Really? It means you know a lot about the past and you're going to be broke for the rest of your life. That's what a history degree is good. That's right. That's you know, right. Dan, today's historian is a very, very unique guy. Ty Sidule is a 36-year Army vet, a retired general officer, a historian, and a professor emeritus at West Point. Today, he's gonna talk to us about the naming commission and how the Army decided to rename nine installations all being implemented this year. A lot of discussion about this, you know, all across the news and personal opinions, but we're gonna get the inside scoop exactly on the reasons why and what happened during this commission from Ty today. Let's get him on the net. Yeah, we should listen to our viewers and cut down our chatter and get our guest out here. Um, I don't think they're referring to us. I think they're referring mostly to you. And oh, then, really? Uh, you think yeah. so? Yeah. Well, so I have to tell everybody, some majors of the Army think highly of themselves, and I just leave it like that. <laughs> they so, sure do. They I just sure leave it like do. that. I'm leaving it like sure that. Do. I won't it's argue that point. Well, introduce our guest, Les. Hey, Ty. Welcome to Army Matters for the second time, sir. Well, thank you. Though I don't know if you need me. I think you guys are going well enough on your own. I don't know that you really need another guest. You guys are rocking it. No, we need you. We need you, brother. Okay, I'm here. Yeah, we're glad. So, so Ty, just give us a, a little bit of a background of, of who you are uh, before we jump into it. Yeah, uh, my name is Ty Sigley. I'm a retired uh, Army Brigadier General. I spent about half my time on uh, in armor and infantry units, and then the last half of my career at West Point as a history professor and then uh, head of the history department. Okay. And I retired in 2020, and now I'm a uh, professor of history here at Hamilton College in upstate New York. So, Ty, what unit were you in in the 82nd? I was in both 373 Armor, the Airborne Armor Battalion, back when we had Sheridans. I remember that, brother. Yeah. And I was in Al- I was in the 1st and 17th Cav. I commanded yes. Alpha Troop during the first Gulf War Were you? and su- supported uh, 373 uh, when it went into Panama. I was the maintenance officer for those Sheridans. I'll tell you, a heck of a job keeping those Sheridans running, I'll tell you. For our listeners, the Sheridan was the, was the light tank that we dropped out of uh, aircraft. It was the best thing going. Because it was the only thing that the 82nd had for heavy firepower other than artillery. Now, Ty, when you were on two years ago, you talked about your book, Robert E. Lee and Me, which was really a part of your upbringing. Can you talk about how your viewpoint of Lee changed over the years? Yeah. So when I was growing up in Northern Virginia, Lee was the epitome of all that was good. It was status and power to be a white Southern gentleman, a Christian gentleman, a Virginia gentleman. And so on a scale of one to 10, I would have put Lee at an 11. Lee was everywhere. So I grew up with a reverential idea of Lee. In fact, in the sixth grade, I was bused across town from the white elementary school to the segregated all black elementary school. And what was the name of that school? Robert E. Lee Elementary School, named in 1961 as a reaction to integration. I grew up with that. And I went to Washington and Lee University because I wanted to be a Virginia gentleman. And while I was there, I ended up taking a uh, ROTC scholarship because I was broke. I ran out of money, 
turns out 36 years later, you know, I loved it. I love the army. I loved serving at West Point. And I, in fact, I took the oath, the oath that we have all taken in Lee Chapel, uh, where Lee is buried, surrounded by Confederate flags. And I raised my right hand and said that oath that we both have said so often and done to so many others. I didn't realize that that oath is an anti-Confederate oath written in 1862. When it says all enemies foreign and domestic, it's talking about Confederates. But then being in the army, being an army officer and marrying a woman who is incapable of lying and the history made me realize that Lee and, and the Confederates were the antithesis of the values I came to cherish in the U.S. Army. Ty, looking back now, who do you wish would have been your heroes in the past and who inspired you today? Well, I tell you, there are a couple of people that I look at. One is an, a, a, somebody in Alexandria, Virginia, Samuel Tucker. And Samuel Tucker was, um, uh, he sort of had a bootleg in education. So he's from Alexandria. They had no, born in 1913, uh, nothing but segregated schools, no high school in Alexandria for black kids to go to. So he went 22 blocks on a uh, um, on a streetcar to go to D.C., then went to Howard. There were no law schools that would allow him to come in. And so he just took the bar and passed it. He led the first sit-in in American history in Alexandria on the Alexandria Public Library because it was segregated. And then during World War II, served proudly in the 92nd Division in Italy, rose to the rank of major. After the war, led civil rights legislation including Brown versus the Board of Education. So he's certainly one hero. He was the one I should have had as a hero growing up in Alexandria, but this Lee myth overwhelmed all of that. And really that's what commemoration is about, uh, General, is who who do represents our values today? And it's Samuel Tucker, it's Charles Young, it's Benjamin O. Davis Jr., it's Colin Powell, it's Hal and Julia Moore. That it's not just those who served in uniform, but those who love soldiers, those who served as civilians, that's who inspires me today. I'll tell you, this is an incredible thing for me. It's hard to find someone as passionate about history as myself, but I think I found um, <laughs> the person who is most passionate about history. And I'm a little intimidated by the way he can just roll off these facts and dates. Um, so I'm not going to dig in or compare my history knowledge with yours because I already submit, sir. <laughs> but not everybody thinks that way. Um, you know, there's a, there's a counter out there. And you've heard this, I'm sure, sir. You know, why dig up the past? But for someone who has taught and wrote about history for years, why is it important to be thinking and rethinking historical events? Yeah, that's a great question. So the thing about it is we humans have memory. Mm -hmm. We remember things. Otherwise, we would be a snail. And the only way to understand who we are today is to understand the history of where we've come from. And that history isn't just about our country. It's also about us individually. Do you know the history of your hometown? Do you know the history of your U.S. Army? Mm -hmm. Do you know the history of your unit? And those things matter. So, for instance, people say that, you know, I'm dredging up the past because I talk about the history of race in this country. I love my country. So the great writer James Baldwin once said that um, I love my country more than any other, and therefore I must criticize her. Criticizing isn't because you hate something. You're criticizing because you love it. And it's the study of history that we know why we are like we are today changes the way we think. And I'll just give you an example. So why do black families have one-tenth the wealth of white families today? Well, Social Security, when it first started, because segregationists controlled Congress, only white families were allowed to have Social Security. 
After World War II, the GI Bill, VHA and VA loans only went to white people. So the idea that we know these things doesn't make us hate our country. It makes us understand where we are today. And every time we study this history means we are not only are we better, um, we're better citizens, but it also we're, we're better people. It helps our character and the leadership business. We want to have good character and history helps us do that. Yeah. And that, I can't agree with you more. I, you know, I, we talked about before we got on, there's a quote in your book. I want you to share as soon as I turn it back over to you. I studied U.S. immigrant history. I, I had a fascination of figuring out how we became a nation, where these people came from. And this blend of ideas, although it's had its challenges throughout our history, have has somehow worked better than any other country in the world, right? We figured out how to do something and we learn because we look in the past and we change the outlook for the future. But quote in your book, sir, it's inspirational to me. Can you share that with us? Yeah. So I, at the end of my book, I say basically that racism is the virus in the American dirt. It's affected us at all time. But the only way to change that is if we first have to understand our racist past to prevent a racist future. Mm -hmm. And if we can do this as Americans, we can do anything as Americans if we talk about it honestly. We Americans aren't made out of cotton candy. We can handle the truth. And when we engage with the truth, when we engage with the facts, it makes us better people, better citizens, better soldiers, better leaders. Calling all Vietnam War veterans and military supporters. Please join the nation as we take the time to honor your legacy and welcome you home at the 50th Vietnam War Commemoration Memorial, beginning May 11th through the 13th. This three-day interactive immersive experience will take place in Washington, D.C. on the National Mall daily from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Be sure to stop by the AUSA tent at JFK Hockey Field for some special giveaways. Experience nightly concerts, a parachute drop by the Golden Knights, a flyover by four Vietnam War period Huey helicopters, and a welcome home celebration co-hosted by NFL legend and broadcaster Joe Theismann and former Miss America and ESPN reporter Charlene Wells-Hawks. For more information, visit www.vietnamwar50th.com. Okay, we're back with Ty. Now let's get into the naming commission. Yeah. For those that don't know, the commission was put together in 2020 as a result of the Black Lives Matter protests and more. Ty, now... How did you get involved and why? Well, uh, the Secretary of Defense Chief of Staff called me and said, Ty, we'd like you to serve on the commission. And I could not believe it because this is a subject I've been writing about for 15 plus years uh, of that belief that our army should not be named after those who killed U.S. Army soldiers. No one listened to me for years, thought I was a little bit kooky for talking about that, maybe not a little bit. I wrote a book about it. I wrote a book about that had why we named these things after Confederates, when we named them, and how terrible it was, the terrible people that they were. So just one example, uh, Fort Gordon, named after John Brown Gordon, never served a day in the U.S. Army. And after the war, he was the Grand Dragon and founded the Ku Klux Klan 
in Georgia and gave a speech once to black Charlestonians where he said, if if you black people are demand equality, the 40 million of us white people will exterminate the 4 million of you black people in a race war. And that's who we've named that post after. And if you go down the line, we could talk about whichever one you want to, and I will tell you a horror story about who those are named after. And I said that they should change. And when this commission came about, I could not think of a better place for me to be than helping the military do that. Ty, can you explain to us why the naming commission was so controversial? Well, it's controversial because change is controversial. And many people said that we were changing history, but we weren't. We're changing commemoration. History is what you do when you read a book. It's trying to understand the past, often done by historians who write about this. Um, commemorate, and, and so we continue to teach history at West Point, but commemoration is about who we honor. It's about our values. It's about who we aspire to be. And if you honor someone and it no longer represents your values, then you should change it. But there are many people that looked at these, you know, Fort Bragg has been there for over 100 years and say, we shouldn't change it. But if you look at when Bragg was named in 1917-18, it was when the army was segregated. This was not the period that represents who we are today. And we had the chance by changing the names to talk about people that represent us today in 2023. Ty, where did you get the most opposition from? First, you should know that since we have done our report, we finished on time, under budget. We had 100% of our recommendations accepted by the Secretary of Defense. And by the end of this year, 100% implemented. So, and not one elected representatives at the federal, state, or local level has publicly said anything bad about it. To me, it's an incredibly hopeful story. This is amazing. Yes, there are people that disagree with it. But if you read anything about the people that they were named for, I, and then think about who we're naming them for now, you go, oh my gosh, this represents who we are. Can you briefly explain to our listeners the process of figuring out which bases or installations would have to be renamed? How, how did you come up with that? Well, the, the law was very clear, which is we would have to change, modify, or rename anything that commemorated the Confederacy or those who voluntarily served. So the first thing we did was to determine what commemorated Confederates. And clearly, and what the law was really meant to do was to talk about those nine bases because it's named after Bragg who fought for the Confederacy, Polk who fought for the Confederacy, uh, Gordon who fought for the Confederacy, Lee who fought for the Confederacy, Hood, so on, and so on. This was the will of our elected representatives and therefore the will of the people. So Ty, how did you decide who to name the bases after? I tell you, and, and General, I would tell you that if you gave me another hour, I'd give you another nine names. And if you gave me another hour, I'd give you another nine names. And I could go on until you got tired. So we started out, we created a website where I think we got 34,000 names. 34,000. Now, listen, some of them were like, name it after Britney Spears. Some of them were name it, name it after John Rambo, a fictional character. Right. But a lot of them were, were great names. And we took those names and then we, we got them down. We necked them down to about 10 per base, 10 per post. And then from there, we went back out to there. But we looked for stories that would inspire soldiers today. And we wanted to ensure that it reflected what the Army looks like today. Right. So before we started, just so you know, how many posts were named after African-Americans? Zero. How many named after women? Zero. So we wanted to make sure that we re reflected the army as a whole. And boy, I tell you, you want to know the toughest thing I have ever done in my career was trying to pick just 
those names. And so kind of we cheated a little bit, you know? So, you know, I'm going to go down on the 27th of April when we rename Lee to Arthur Gregg and Charity Adams. And any of these ones that you want me to tell you, sorry, I can go on all day, but we're so proud of the names we have. The first time we've had a woman named, the first time we have a family member, which I'm also extraordinarily proud. The first time we're naming one after someone who served in uniform, uh, but was not to serve the nation on the battlefield, but was not allowed to wear the uniform because of her gender. So yeah, these are amazing stories, but the hardest thing, oh my gosh, so hard to just pick a few names. I know General Gregg personally, and uh, he is very, very unassuming, a great, great leader for our nation. And and it's so, so great that we had the chance to honor him while he's still alive, him and his wife and their families. What a great story. Yeah, great story. I'll just ask either one of you this. When you went to any of those posts that we're renaming, did anybody tell you the story of who we named them after? No. No. And why not? Their stories are horrible. They killed U.S. Army soldiers. They fought for slavery. They were terrible people. Now, when you go to Fort Johnson or Fort Greg Adams, we're going to lead with that story. We're going to lead with the story of who we are as an army. Ah, it's going to be inspire soldiers and all Americans. So we don't have time for 10 stories. And I'm going to ask you, people don't like favorites because those stories are incredible. But you've mentioned how powerful and passionate those things are and the influence they're going to have as we move in the future. So share one. I'm going to share two, but I'm going to do it fast. So number one is the Moors, the Moore family. This is how Moore of We Were Soldiers Once and Young, who won the Distinguished Service Cross at the Battle of Yadrang and then helped start the Volunteer Army. Amazing. But his spouse, his wife, Julie, is also the one that started casualty notification. She ensured that rather than a cab coming to recognize casualties, that she was going to do it herself. And that forced the army to start casualty notification. Recognize the family, takes the family to serve the army. And the other one is Fort Johnson, Henry Johnson, who was wounded 21 times wearing a French uniform because the American army would not allow him to wear a, a U.S. uniform. He was a member of the Harlem Hellfighters. Yeah. And when he returned from that, he had a parade in Harlem and they shouted, here comes Black Death. Here comes Black. That was his nickname. He died in poverty. And 100 years later, he received the Medal of Honor for his actions there. It's never too late to do the right thing. The second thing you said that captivated me was you said there was no shortage of names when you went to look for new names. Tell us at least one or two stories of individuals that you wish you could have honored, but there simply wasn't enough. There's just not enough army bases. Yeah. Ted Rubin. Oh my gosh, this guy, he was a Holocaust survivor, came to the U.S. as an immigrant, and then joined the army, went to Korea, and and killed an enormous number of Chinese on a hilltop in Korea, saving his platoon there, and was captured. Then went into a prisoner of war camp after he'd already been a Holocaust survivor and saved his platoon by stealing food to keep them alive came back to the U.S., was not given the Medal of Honor because of anti-Semitism, and yet again in like 26, 20, 2006 or seven, was alive and received the Medal of Honor for his actions there. He is one of those 87 names that, that and we gave them all back to the army with many bios, hoping that they would name other things after him. But there's an example. And I, again, I could go all day. Uh, Charles Young is on there. Another, I, I'm, I'm going to stop now because I'm on a roll and I will continue <laughs> to tell great army stories until you stop me. 
Yeah, I don't want to stop, jump in and stop you, sir. But uh, when Sergeant Major says give one or two, for for now on, you should just give one or two. I'm just, I'm just a point of. Con- I know, I know. I, but you know, the thing is, Sergeant Major, <laughs> I am digging this civilian life, <laughs> yeah, and, and I, right. I don't take orders anymore. I, I, I just take. I'm, I'm with you. I say what I want, when I want, to whom I want, and and uh, <laughs> and particularly when they're great army stories. Okay, Ty, you still have to follow orders. I think your next book is about West Point and some of those protests that happened in the 1970s. Now, since you're a civilian, are you allowed to tell us something about it? Yeah, so I'm writing a book on that now. So in in 1971, Nixon came to West Point, President Nixon, and ordered the superintendent to put up a Confederate monument. Uh, He was doing the Southern strategy to turn the the South Republican. The superintendent, uh, Knowlton, brilliant guy, spoke eight languages, told the black cadets about it. And the black cadets wrote a manifesto based on the Attica uprising. Then they had this manifesto signed by the black officers, gave it to the superintendent who went back up to the the president and the chief staff of the army and it killed the monument. Wow. Um, And this, this said, and we want to name things after the black soldier. Buffalo Soldier Field came immediately. We want to make sure we meet uh, other black women. It was all male at the time. They bust black women in from HBCUs. They had dances. They wanted to show, they wanted to help all black Americans. And so they put on a concert in Mikey Stadium, West Point Stadium, uh, for to raise money for sickle cell anemia research. The concert for the blood, which they did, featuring Stevie Wonder and the Supremes. Wow. And it, it shows you what cadets, what soldiers, what all of us can do if we have a great mission and a great purpose. That's good. That's great. I think that's a great time to close. And for our listeners, uh, we've had so much fun with Ty. I'll tell you, if you want to hear more about this, I said go back to our original podcast we did with Ty about his book, uh, Robert E. Lee and Me, and uh, and take a look at his other writings. Um, he's got a bunch out there. Um, if you want to get educated, I always say be more informed and you will be less emotional. That's right. Thanks again, Ty, for, for joining us. And we look forward to probably having you back again. Would you do that? Oh, I loved it. Thank you both so much. I'm really honored to be on the podcast. Thank you, Ty. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on Army Matters. Ty, you did awesome, by the way, sir. You did oh, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You, no. uh, you. I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm over shaking. I feel like you're my, uh, my, one of my, <laughs> my history professors. You're his no, muse. You're, you're, you're his muse. I know. He's like, you're one of my history professors getting ready to grade my thesis, you know, or something like that. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Our guest today, Ty Sigilli, pointed out the importance of highlighting Army heroes. In today's AUSA chapter spotlight, we'd like to point out how one of our chapters is also doing so. On April 12th, the Fort Leonard Wood Mid-Missouri chapter hosted its second pinning ceremony as part of this year's Vietnam Commemorative Partner Program. In its second ceremony this year, the chapter pinned 116 Vietnam-era veterans and or family members during this moving celebration. Volunteers from the JROTC program, Go Caps, and the local high school aided the event and speeches were delivered by the mayor of Lebanon, Missouri, and the civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army for Missouri West. Congrats to everyone at Fort Leonard Wood Mid-Missouri Chapter, but especially to Command Sergeant Major retired Freddie Brock, a chapter board member, for overseeing the program. Freddie has worked tirelessly over the last year to ensure 220 Vietnam vets are celebrated. With more to come, Freddie, you're a hero. If you or your chapter would like to be profiled on the show, please email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Hua.
To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Army Matters is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission, educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and supporters of a strong national defense. Today's episode was hosted by Lieutenant General Retired Les Smith and SMA Retired Dan Daly, an anchor hosted by Carrie Barrow-Heckes. Anthony Del Call is the producer and writer, and Andy Bosnack is the supervising sound editor. Unzinga Curry is the executive producer, and the senior producers are Carrie Barrow-Heckes and LaSharon Duncan. Special thanks to Lauren Hall and Terry Perriman for their help. Be sure to subscribe to Army Matters wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review. As you know, we love seeing stars in the Army, especially if it comes in the form of a five-star review. AUSA's Army Matters podcast, primary purpose is to entertain. The podcast does not constitute advice or services. While guests are invited to listen, listeners, please note that you're not being provided professional advice from the podcast or the guest. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of AUSA. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. I'm with Sharon Duncan. Hope you have a great Army day. Hooah.